Hi everyone, welcome to The Way. This is Francis. And this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV. What's up everybody, it's good to be back with you. Um, this is Jason Rains on The Way Podcast. Um, coming at you again from the DMV and it's good to be with you. Um, sun is shining, it's summertime, I can hear that Will Smith song, Fresh Prince, out here, summer, summertime, um, I love summertime, it's when my birthday is, I'm a summer baby, so, uh, I look forward to when it's nice and sunny outside, not too hot, don't like the humidity, maybe that has something to do with my, my, uh, my shape, <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I'm here with my very, very good friends, uh, David Bickerstaff and, and Don Medley, um, as we are continuing talking about the biblical perspective on manhood. And uh, say hello, guys. Yo, what's up? Yeah, I got Dave and, and Don with me here today. And, um, you know, Francis and I attacked this the first episode of this little series um, and talked, you know, I think from a very, very um, humble and good perspective on what biblical manhood looks like from the perspective of uh, the scriptures. And we used Micah six eight. So if you're if you're a person who reads the scriptures, um, we use the 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 backdrop of Micah six eight to kind of talk about what what manhood really should look like, especially from the perspective of being a Christian and a follower of God. Um, and so tonight, what we want to do is we want to tackle um, the same subject matter, biblical manhood, but coming at it from a perspective that is not so popular these days and really kind of talking through some things that, you know, we as men, as Christian men, see in our society um, and we want to talk about, really, it's, it, the best way to define it would be the emasculation of men um, in our society. And, you know, that in and of itself could be a week long, you know, we could talk about that for hours. Am I right? I mean, yeah. like, we could talk about that subject for hours. Um, and we're going to try to do it justice in, in a little under an hour here. Um, so you'll have to excuse us if, if we kind of highlight things, um, but there are some things that need to be said on the subject. And, and you know, we talk about this, the three of us, quite often, right, as as men who, you know, aspire to or are already in relationships with women and looking forward to marriage and kids and living our lives as men of God. Um, this is a subject that's tough. And... Yet our society seems to be heading down that path further and further and further where the the idea of manhood is really shifting in our culture. Mm-hmm. You guys agree with that statement that manhood and what defines manhood, that, that viewpoint is shifting? Yeah, I think it's uh as the year goes on years goes on, it's kinda hard to even um watch it now you know i'm tw- I'm turning 28 in two weeks and just the view of manhood and just what you see in movies and tv and it's just so different from growing up you know i'm used to my dad who was a very man's man um you know he wor- he's a mechanic so i've always seen him working with his hands and you know tinkering with things working on cars and it's just not what is shown in movies or tvs or anything anymore yeah compared to like even like in the 60s like every it seems like every dad in the TV that comes back then was either like a mechanic, some type of repair, something like blue collar. And now it's just, it's very effeminate. Um, yeah, it's a lot of just painting men as effeminate now in every show, every TV. It's just really, it's really strange. It is. It's, it's interesting that you say it that way because like the stereotype of what a man is has shifted big time yes. culturally, right? Like I think generally, and you, you guys tell me if you agree with this or not, but like generally over the years when you, if you're coming at it from the perspective of uh, pop culture, like you mentioned, Don, television and movies and things like that, 
historically, you could say that men are kind of uh, depicted as being like buffoons, right? Like they're kind of pictured as being dumb or not really having it all together. I think that's the way that it, things are, have have evolved. I think it's gotten more of that as we've moved on, right? And yet, there's an argument in our society, you know, about this this opposite side of the coin that talks about misogyny and talks about how men have all of the power in society, specifically white men, which, which is the conversation right now, right? And so, you know, how do you balance what you just said, Don, with that? rhetoric that's coming from our society now like this this push-pull conversation of well yeah society is denigrating men and it's getting more and more where men are losing that that um distinctive masculinity right so and it's being seen in that stereotypical way that it's depicted in movies and television and things like that but at the same time there's so much conversation that's happening where misogyny is being uplifted and power and all those things that men hold over everyone else yeah i think the hard part is is it's our own fault at the same time so when you were just asking that question it just reminds me of like it's a generational thing where i feel like the generation now either grew up without fathers or abusive fathers not that that didn't exist before i just think as a society things like the generation before us and even maybe even that generation before that um, a lot of absence, a lot of absence from fathers is, I feel like, is a root cause for a lot of what we're experiencing now. Yeah, that's good. What do you think, Dave? Um, I have some strong thoughts and feelings about this subject. Speak on it, brother. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, um, when you when Don was just speaking just now, I was reminded of uh, kind of the study we were doing uh, with our church and going through Exodus. Right. And just remembering the verses where it was discussing how um, the men aren't being men and the, the young boys and the women will lead Israel. And it's, I'm kind of reflective on that and, and bringing in today's sense, um, just kind of like looking at the way that the world is nowadays, that's kind of the narrative that's being pushed. Um, if you notice, in, even in politics, a kid's opinion will be propped up for scientists to sure. listen to um kind of just attacking these this patriarchal uh formula that exists whether it be in the household or just in society in general or even saying that patriarchy in and of itself is a bad thing yes like characterizing yes. patriarchy as a negative or bad thing right that's always been very curious to me right like and you know you you wonder like where did it come from right like, why now? You know, why is it so loud now? And I think to even what you and Don were saying earlier, it is a buildup over the errors of previous generations. And now we have to look at it in the face. But it is a collective, like, argument. It's, it's not just one person or one group of people versus another group of people. It literally is humanity. Like, we as a people have failed. And now we're reaping what we've sown. Yeah, and that's really interesting because there's a redefining happening right now of identity, mm -hmm. a redefining of roles, Yeah, right? The conversation of gender that's happening in our society right now is a redefining, right? And, you know, where does the Christian worldview fit into that redefining, right? I'm going to read this scripture, all right? So we're looking at... Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 7. And listener, what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to the distinctiveness in the creation. This is a creation story. The distinctiveness in the, of the creation of man and woman. All right? So verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. That's Adam. All right? And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the bad one. You guys remember, that's the one they're not supposed to touch. Yeah. 
<laughs> Verse 10, a river flowed through the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. And then it talks about what those branches are. Um, it talks about the gold of the, of the land in verse 12. And then it says all, you know, all the different branches had all these distinctive characteristics. And then you get down to verse 15. It says the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So not only did he create the man, but he gave him a purpose, right? right? Yeah. All right. So what was Adam's purpose based on what we just read in verse 15? To work and take care of it. Right. So God gave him the purpose to work and take care of the creative stuff that God had put on this earth, specifically the garden. Right? Right. All right. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. All right? God gave specific instructions to Adam. Mm -hmm. All right? Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave the names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. All right. So many societies take this type of uh, story approach and then it may not even be Judeo-Christian. They may have their own creation stories that kind of discuss the origin of humanity, right? And there is a way to read this and say, well, you know, men should dominate women, right? There is a way to read it that way if you read this. But you have to read into the text in order to get there, right? Right. There's never any indication that Adam's role is to dominate over his wife. Those weren't right? the instructions from God. The, the Bible is anything when it comes to talking about the relationship between men and women. The Bible does not um, uplift misogyny. All right? How is it then that our faith, our faith journey, our worldview as Christians, guys... How is it that it's characterized as misogynistic? How does that happen? So the first thought that comes to mind for me is, again, it's, it's Christian men in the past, pastors, leaders, husbands, that have abused their role and abused their, I guess, kind of like their God-given, how do I say this? They abused the role that they were given. So, you know, we're supposed to be protector and serving and taking care of our wives and the people in our church and, you know, pastoring folks where we use that for power. Or we use that for gain in other ways, whether it be sexual abuse, physical abuse or whatever, We just, or manipulation. We You see it through, you see it everywhere where we just kind of fail at living to a godly standard and not even in a way like, oh, we're sinners, but it's like we're living in sin and choosing sin for our own gain and saying that we're Christian when they're really not. Mm. Or or to add to add what you to what you're saying, Don, to even say that, well, I'm a man. So it it should be understood. Like my behavior is excusable. Like am I not supposed to pursue women? Am I not supposed mm. to take over and conquer land am i not supposed to do these things this is a man this is what i was created to do and man has always been at odds with god yeah there you go even in good. even in the church yeah you know you have pastors or preachers or just people who aspire to be ambitious in the church and they want their name in headlights or the church props them up so I think that the church has failed, <laughs> um, but to be specific, like what Don said, the men in the church 
Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think that that's true. I think that's 100% accurate. And I think until men really own uh, their own culpability in this, until fathers and husbands and, and men in general, especially Christian men, own the fact that um, we have not always lived in light of you know the words for instance of Paul where he talks about husbands and wives should be mutually submissive to one another I don't think that I think that that typically is glossed over (laughs) right well I think even in that scripture that's glossed over by the women too where it's like they read that section and they only focus on wives submit to your husband but it is there where the man is supposed to take care of his wife as yeah. well. It's, love it's his wife mutual. Yeah. Christ, love the church. Right. Yeah, and that's that was my point. That's where I was headed, yeah. was the fact that there's a second part to this, that whether or not you want to have this conversation is immaterial. It's just part of the conversation. And that is that when we move away from the complementarian view of men have a role to fulfill because we see that right and even in the creation story we see god created adam with a purpose and created eve with a purpose Mm -hmm. two separate purposes two separate personalities two separate individuals right two separate beings in a way absolutely like a man and a woman yes they're both human but even in the way they're created they're different yeah just think thank you and that interesting how and you don't ever think of it this way, but Adam was the one created from the dust of the earth. Mm-hmm. Eve was created from Adam, right? Like, and that can be seen as negative, right? That can be seen as you know a misogynistic viewpoint. Like, right. how dare you say that women come from men? But the whole, I like the the whole, and maybe this is part of that transition that we're seeing in our society. The redefining, even the word woman, is basically means from man mm-hmm. right like so um what here well let right, me get let me get this out like what what I, what I wanted to say about that is is that i think that there is there is culpability on both sides i think there's culpability in men not leading the way that they're supposed to lead like adam did in the garden when he kept his mouth shut when eve was being talked to by the serpent Right, he was passive and didn't do his job. Right, but then I also think that part of the curse for women is the fact that they want to, they want their cake and eat it too, so to speak. And listen, I'm not saying this to denigrate women. I'm saying this is like, this is a real struggle that I've seen in my wife. I see it, you know, in women, you know, throughout the years of doing biblical counseling, where there's this duality to the way that they see the world. You know, on the one hand, they want to, to, to be the boss. Right, and again, I'm stereotyping, I'm generalizing, all right. But there's there, you see this control that women want, and then at the same time, they also want to be swept off their feet mm-hmm. and like go back and forth between the two constantly, and it's a constant tug of war in their hearts and in their minds, right? And obviously, again, that's a generalization, but it's 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 characterized in the scripture as being part of, you know the seed of sin that was born in Eve's heart that has been passed on for generations, right? right. In women is this idea that that I'm going to dominate or lead, but also want my counterpart to step in and lead, right? And that really contributes to this conversation, right? Like that really contributes to um, this emasculating in our society where it's bubbled to the surface of our society, as you both said, it's 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 evolved over time, right? Because if you look at his history and you look at the role men have played historically, men have been the kind of the top, you know, in, in a leader role and seen in that light historically, mm-hmm. right? And now the tide is changing, and it's changing fast, right? And the question is, for guys like us who profess to be followers of Jesus, do we ride that tide? Do we, do we allow that to immerse us, that cultural, what's happening, that shift? Do we allow that to, to shape the way that we see men and women? 
My answer to that is no. I, I use the Bible as my guide and my understanding of worldview. I'm curious as to what you guys would say to a culture that is this, this basically this cultural wave that's coming telling you that your masculinity needs to be redefined. How do you feel about that? If it ain't in scripture, I'm not, I'm not subjecting myself to that. Um, that's my immediate response. Sure. I uh, was, as you were speaking, I was reminded of, um, and I, I hope I'm not using it out of context, but Second Timothy, verse or chapter two, verse four. Um, reading from the NLT, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for the, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Yeah. And I feel like this specific subject can very well become a loud distraction for the church and for a man of God. It is. We're talking about biblical manhood. And I think, just speaking from my own experience, I would get so caught up that it would, it could potentially, if I'm not careful, it could potentially damage my testimony. It could potentially um, lure me away from what God's called me to do. Because I would be so concerned with how others felt about how I viewed manhood instead of living it out, instead of pointing people back to Christ. And I think that that's where we got away as a, as a people, especially in the church. We got away from the basics of the Bible. Like It's not a coincidence. It's not a surprise to us that this is where we are in the world because it's in Genesis it's not a revelation. It's not, oh, you got to wait till you get to the end. Right. It's in the beginning. Right. Jesus gives us the heads up from the get. Hey, y'all, guess what? Men, you're going you gonna to want to do right and you're going to mess up. And women, guess what? Your man's going to mess up, but you're going to want him to do right and it's going to piss you off. Yeah. It's there from the beginning. So when it happens now, I have to be... Um, Anchored. I have to be anchored in, in scripture. Yes. And I need my church to also anchor me. Like I need to be around a body that when I do talk about these subjects, we're not gonna get political. Yes. Like it's not gonna stray away from Excellent the word point. of God. Excellent point. And so I think that, that that there has to be that balance. Like I myself need to be, well, oh, hold up, this don't seem right. Let me go to the word. Let me be in prayer about this. And then at the same time be able to go to my church and be yeah, like, what's going what's on. What's funny about that last thing that you said is the fact that you know, this is affecting churches dramatically. Yeah. And and you see churches really bowing to this ideology, um, really allowing the society and the society pressure and cultural norms to pressure the church into changing its understanding of men and women. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's really curious to me because a lot of this is so anti-biblical and so, like, furiously like angry at the Bible because of the way that the, the Bible, you know, shows men and women and talks about men and women, you know, it's characterized as misogynistic. And you would think that there would be a line drawn in the sand on this issue, on this particular issue. Right now, there is one, one of these, one, one of the facets of this conversation where the line is drawn in the sand for a lot of churches Right, Don mentioned this word, so we're going to go down this little rabbit hole. Don used the word effeminate, right, and talked about how uh, society now is is really kind of feminizing men, right? <laughs> this one, the church isn't necessarily, although more is happening. I guess this is happening more now, where the church is kind of bending. But for a really long time, the church really stood its ground on the concept of the feminization of men and specifically homosexuality and now the conversation of gender fluidity and, and all that stuff, right? Like the church for a really long time has been very, very staunchly opposed and very like, like almost perceived as being angry on this subject matter, right? Um, I personally, here's my view on this. I, I don't think that the church has done enough in 
the way of building bridges with people who who um, are gay, who have gender dysphoria. Um, I think that Christians are so uncomfortable around people who who that's their life mm-hmm. that they just simply create a distance between themselves and people who people who are in that lifestyle or who live that life, right? Um, and so it's left up to, you know, the gay person or the, you know, the, the gender confused person to, to seek out whatever spiritual, if they even do seek it out, right? Because the Bible says that, you know, we're spiritually dead unless God opens that door for us, right? So like, but maybe, you know, we, we leave it up to them to seek out the church as opposed to the church really being missional in that sense. And this is one area where I think the church has really failed to 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 be missionaries. Yeah, and I think it's really heartbreaking because um, so I work in retail, um, and so I work with a lot of people of the LGBT community, and you know I deal with different customers, different type of people, and you know I have interactions on the daily with them, and a lot of my conversations are just like you know asking about their lives and just general conversation you know you do with coworkers or customers or whatever, and you know, I'm very open about my faith and my job. And, you know, I, my coworkers, they know where I stand. And we are able to have actual conversations where they're able to talk about their lives and not feel judged or feel like I hate them or whatever, even if I'm very firm that our lifestyles are different. And I think as a, as the church as a whole, we have done such a disservice to the gospel by being so Afraid, afraid, hate, afraid, hate, afraid and hateful. Uh, yeah, afraid yeah. and hateful to have those conversations with that folk, with with that community, because the part that's annoying, super annoying to me is, in all of our lives as Christians, there's a point in human humanity in general where you're faced with your identity, and it's not about your sexuality, it's not about what job you're gonna have, it's about who you are and what what were you created for like what's your purpose everyone goes through that in like their late teens early 20s mid 20s you go through this quarter life crisis we all been there i've been there it's like what am i doing in my life and we're looking for answers and the thing about it is like people try to find like jason just said they try to find answers in sexuality they try to find answers for answers in changing genders and just different things but it's like what you're looking for is the why you're created and the only person that can give you that is your creator and that is where we do the disservice of not preaching the gospel or interacting with the, with a community, even and not even just the gay community, but any community, whether we're talking about race or anything else like that, it's all identity issues. And, you know, we read Genesis 2 where it talks about us being created and the only person that knows why we were created is God. So for us to not have those conversations, like, of course they're left to, the, to their own devices. The same way when... You know, we're talking about manhood as a little boy that's grown up without a father. He's left with his own devices to figure out what man is, what a man is. He's left with his own devices to figure out what it means to provide for his family. It left with his own devices to figure out sex and all these different things. When you turn to porn or you turn to the streets, you turn to drugs. Like, you do so many different things to try to fill that gap. And it still leave you empty and missing that root of what you were trying to find. Yeah, absolutely, Don. Absolutely. I'm going to take you to a scripture on this particular part of... <laughs> Um, kind of like the the denigration or emasculation of men. Um, we're going to be going to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 25. And I'm going to read a few, some, some verses here to really talk about this issue at a very deep theological level, if you guys can deal with that. So the verse 25 says, they traded the truth. This is talking about, this is Paul explaining to the Roman church is about kind of like this uh, history lesson almost uh, laying theological foundation for the Roman church and later on everyone. <laughs> uh, and he's talking about the how the ancients approached God. And it's, he says that they, meaning the ancients, traded the truth about God for a lie. And really he's giving a history lesson on idolatry. He says, so they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself, 
who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Verse 26. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, buried, sorry, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. So, one of the things that's always really kind of baffled me is the... When we talk about this conversation with homosexuality and effeminacy and and trans, and especially in the society that we're in now that is so anti-Christian, right? Um, you know, Christians are characterized as being you know homophobes and haters and and all these things. Um, and the reason we're characterized that way, some of it is for good reasons. Right, because there's some idiots out here that that are not exemplifying the way that Jesus would want us to to go about this. As a matter of fact, it's funny. I read an article today written by um, John Piper, and he talks about how Christians should disapprove of homosexuality. That there is a Christian way to disapprove that's different than the way that the world disapproves of things. Right, and it's and you see this. In what Paul's language is here, and and I want the listener who's listening to hear this, um, it's not the whole the old cliche of hate the sin and love the sinner. It's none of that, right? Like the reality is, we have an attack on identity, and where the biggest the biggest conversation about identity is, like Don said, this it has to do with who you worship. Right? It's identity is rooted in who or what you worship. So Paul's lesson here, talking about the ancients, he is showing that from the very beginning of, of humankind, once sin entered into the picture, humans have always decided to worship what God creates instead of the creator himself. Right? And so because of that propensity and because of that darkness. Because we've exchanged the truth for a lie, right? One of the side byproduct type things that comes with that is this thing that he's describing that started long time ago with the ancients. And that is that part of that or the DNA of that sinful um, propensity to be idolatrous is this thing that happens to our desires, our sexual desires specifically, right? I see a connection between that and the creation story, right? I see a connection between God creating someone who was other than Adam, who's a suitable helper in every way, and part of that is sexually, right? That otherness that that Eve represents is... It's a reminder to us that God is different than us, mm-hmm. right? When I go down the path of idolatry and the worship of creation, what I'm really saying is, is that I'm I'm worshiping me, worshiping self, and so that sameness attraction, that desire in me that shifts, is a a product of that idolatrous heart that I have. Now the argument is, well, not every person who practices idolatry is gay right that's true and that's the reason why i don't believe that people who are gay are born that way i firmly do not believe that and the bible is my basis for that just like you Mm -hmm. said dave i go to the scriptures for my understanding of these things and and what i see is is that this is a proclivity or propensity that happens in my life and it's not everyone right but it's one of those things that happens in some of us where our desires are twisted mm-hmm. and it can happen in this particular area with sexuality, right? That's and so so to the listener who's hearing us talk this way, you know, this this could be construed as hate speech, mm-hmm. what we're saying right now. And there's not an ounce of hate in my heart. All right. Um Can I point one please, thing out that you said? Please jump in. Dave. Um so just listening to us talk. One thing that comes to mind is 
you you talked you talked a lot about desires and I think in the subject of biblical manhood and just being a man being a man in general let's just let's just look at being desiring to be a man um that has been stripped down over the years as we've discussed mm-hmm. so much to the point where it's no longer important it's not it's not anything that is held in high regard it's not anything that's held as a goal in the society if anything the opposite is right. you can be whatever you want don't let um <laughs> the European mentality and the patriarch patriarchal mindset inform you that you have to be this man and that a man looks like this. But for the Christian, um, again, just listening to us talk and reflecting on Micah 6, yes. what the Lord requires of us is he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So that isn't toxic masculinity. That isn't right. the world's version of what a man is. Um, it's not some superhero who sweeps in and he saves the damsel in distress. But it was those qualities of those characters that we gleaned as kids, that we looked at the Batmans and the Supermans and the Lord of the Ring characters. We looked at these heroes Uh-oh. and we were like, what, why, what's so attractive about them? Why? Is it because their main character is a white guy? No, it was it was the morality, it was the it was the honor, it was the core values that that character displayed in the face of evil. Wow! And that to me is what a man is, right? And should desire to. Isn't be. it funny, Dave, that the anti-hero now is becoming more of a popular theme? <laughs> yes. Right? Isn't it ironic yeah. that what you just described? is even being filtered out of those stories and now we're much more interested in the anti-hero type character, right? Who, you know, who is the hero of the story, the protagonist, but he doesn't have protagonist qualities, right? Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah. I think that's an interesting, like, uh, study on how things are shifting. 100%. As we're talking. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It feels like the glass is being broken over and over again. Or not. Actually, I feel like I'm in a two-way mirror where I can see through it, but the other side can't see back. Because, like, as Dave was talking, you know, it's... You know, we're talking about how they're saying patriarchy needs to go away and toxic masculinity, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're really saying is there needs to be more godly men that does it right. Like, we're not saying, like, like what that's what people don't want to realize. They don't want to say that they need God, that they need Jesus mm-hmm. to save them. It, because what they're, they they rather just go down and route, well, well, manhood needs to be stripped down mm-hmm. and be, t- like, it needs to be taken over. Like, women should rule, women should rule this. Like, and I understand it's coming from a place of hurt, but what they're missing is the fact that if godly men would stand up and do what they're supposed to do, that people will be able to see that done that was it'd be able to see it get done right. And I remember when you guys may remember from a couple podcasts ago when me and Chelsea was on here and recording, and she said something that stuck with me. Um, she talked. We were talking about Ephesians three, and the wives submitting to your husband and husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And she was saying how she struggles with wanting to be in control of different things because of what she witnessed in her parents and just in society and what's in her, like wanting to lead and wanting to be the one in charge. But, and this is not me trying to hype myself up at all by any means because it's all Christ. But when she said, you know, being able to see a godly man love and care about her in a way that she's not used to, it makes that submission piece something she wants to yeah. do is something that's natural is something that she desires she was created exactly so we're talking about how you're born and whatnot like we're created in the way that we read in genesis where that's that's our roles and when it's done correctly it's beautiful and, and it's, natural yeah natural yes and what's funny is is you use that word because in romans one paul uses the word unnatural mm-hmm. right he talks about how our desires become unnatural right but you're describing what chelsea said as being these natural desires to be submissive and to to kind of see you through that lens as opposed to seeing in this very unnatural way 
right? Yeah. Like, and it's ironic that, and and I, and I guess you know, for the Christian, there's a very simple answer to all of this, and that is like, the the gospel really is the answer, and the fact that humanity is is just dreadfully sinful, and therefore. If you if, if if we're not talking about Christians and we're talking about the world, of course the world is not going to to want godly men. Right. Right. right? Like right. the world's not gonna want for for men to to who who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior to be um examples. Right? As a matter of fact, we see historically that those men typically are murdered. Yeah. Or martyred, right? Like Typically, those guys end up dead. Yeah, the ones that are genuine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. The ones that are actually following Christ. Because I think, out, like I said earlier, there's out there, there's a lot of quote-unquote Christian men, but they're trash. You know what I mean? Like, they're still, they're living a life of sin at the same time. And it's like, mm, I don't think you're a good example of what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and that's not to say that there's an expectation of perfection, right? It's right. like we're learning in our James study, right? Was it? What is it? It's not perfection. It's progress. Progress, progress right? not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Um, shout out to Matt Chandler for that one, <laughs> by the way. Um, but yeah, like, and I think a lot of times what you're saying, Don, can be construed as and put and pressure be placed on Christian men to to be perfect. When in reality, all we're looking for is for men to do their part, right? To step up to the plate and do their part. And have that progressive sanctification, that progressive change in their life, becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ, right? And in that, that is attractive and beautiful and 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 transformational, really, right? When men lead the way that we're supposed to in a humble way, like Dave was reading from Micah six eight, where we're you know we care about those things, it's transformational. Um, and it, it's contagious in a society, but a society that that wants to go the other direction, a society that that abhors God and says that God is not um, either He's not real or He is He is something to be denigrated. He's something to be uh, fought against. Mm-hmm. You know, Christian men are going to be looked upon as as you know at best we're going to be looked at as sissies you know as close-minded or as you know dumb and i had somebody tell me one time that because i believed in god uh that they basically thought that i was stupid and, you know, told me that, you know, I lacked intellect because of my belief in God. Um, that's a very common view. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a person that knew me pretty well. This was a guy I was in the Navy with, and he was a he was a staunch atheist. And he questioned my intellect um, because, of the, because of my faith in God. Um, let me ask you guys this question. What, in your mind, is the one thing... If you could put your finger on one thing that we as Christian men could do, what should we be doing in this area to show our world that the world view, the Christian worldview really is the answer to this issue? What could we be doing? Because, I mean, talking about it's one thing, like like what we're doing right now, and I think having these conversations um, are important conversations, and I love having these conversations. So, listener, while these guys are thinking, um, if you want to have a conversation about this, I am absolutely open to dialogue, and there are ways uh, to get in touch with us through our platform. Um, So, please look look for those ways in the Anchor platform to, to reach out to us and and we can dialogue on these issues. Um, I have no problems having honest discourse on this subject matter. Um, I believe what I believe. And so I don't know that you want to come at me with 
the intent of trying to change what I think on this. Come at but, us, bro. But if you want to have some <laughs> honest discourse, uh, we are open to that. And, you know, I want to have the discourse with folks so that they can see that I genuinely have love for them. Right? I have the love of Christ in my heart. It's not going to deter me from calling sin, sin. But it is going to be seen and, and felt as love. And, and anyone who's had a conversation with me about this stuff can attest to that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, for me, that's the thing. So that's I'm, I'll, I'll start. The thing, for me, is having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And having them more and more and being open and honest and real about what we believe as Christians. Not, you know... And a lot of times keeping our emotions in check and like really, really hearing people as opposed to just having a bunch of bullet points that we throw at them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But really having honest dialogue with them and keeping the gospel at the forefront of the conversation, which is something that I do as regularly as I can because my words are literally just, they just fall down to the ground, right? But when I have the gospel on my lips and I take the conversation down that path, Something mad, something something beautiful happens. So that's my thing is having those conversations. Don, what do you think? What, what is something that we could be doing? So actually, I was going to say the same thing as far as you cool. know having those conversations, but I'll even elaborate a little bit more. I think just putting ourselves in positions where we get interact, rub shoulders with, and put ourselves in positions to be able to even interact with people to have these conversations and not waiting for them to come to us. So being proactively loving, proactively serving um, our communities in order for those conversations to even be accessible for us. And then also just teaching that too. So having conversations with our family, having conversations with, within our bodies, having conversations with our children, of teaching how to have those loving but truth-filled conversations where we get may disagree with someone's lifestyle but be able to still love them and know that Jesus loves them first and foremost. And just because we don't agree doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. You know what I mean? And being able to keep an open door access for them to come ask questions about Christ. Because the biggest thing, how can someone come know about Christ when the people professing Christ, they're afraid of or they feel hatred by? There's there's no, they won't want to come talk to us or have those kind of conversations. You know what's funny about that before you go, Dave? I find that on the Christian side of this, so many Christians are so defensive yeah. on this subject matter, right? Like... I don't understand why Christians don't expect hatred or don't expect people to, to struggle with your point of view, right? Like it's curious to me, the number of believers that I find that get angry and put off by people who, you know, people who don't know Jesus, who are angry with what you say or what you believe. There's plenty of biblical historical evidence of people who hated People like Paul and, and, I mean, Stephen was the first martyr for preaching the gospel. You know, and there's just a long list of people who were very honest and loving about where the position they're coming from and were still hated. Mm-hmm. Why is it that so many Christians are, are so defensive and, and get all weird and, and mad because the world hates them? The world's going to hate you. It doesn't give you an excuse to not love people. Like, we need to love in spite of that. That's what you're saying, right, Don? Like, yeah. put yourself in that position. Yeah. Right? Good. Dave? So, yeah, I'm going to, I definitely agree with both points. I'm actually going to draw a connection between the two because where I was going to land was in community, specifically um, the family and the household of which a man is called to lead or even growing up in. So, this is for brothers, sons men, fathers, father figures even. And the role and understanding the importance of your role as a man in the community of your household first is a game changer. And for me, if I was to give the one golden rule, it would be if there's any place that you need to be a, a biblical man, it's in the home. Speak on it, man. It's in the home because your children are watching. Your wife is watching. Yeah. Your neighbors are watching. So everything that happens in the home, it, it, it kind of spills over to the rest of your life. You take it with you to work. Your kids take it to, to school with them. 
Your wife takes it to work with herself. She takes it to her family. You know, you take it to your extended family. And it's it starts at home. Um, working in the education world, the one thing I can say is like, there's this expectation that teachers, that there's this expectation on teachers to kind of just mold and, and basically chisel away at a child to help them become, you know, a better person for the world. But that parent, I'm sorry, that teacher gets a, a specific amount of time with that kid, sometimes more than the parent during the day, but the kid goes home to the parent. Yeah. The kid grows up with the parent. And not a lot of kids have father figures in the house. Not a lot of kids have men of God that they can look to, for examples. So maybe you're not a father, but maybe you're a man of God in your neighborhood. Maybe you're a young man who has a heart to pursue the Lord. And you're not sure, maybe your age is kind of keeping you from speaking out on certain things in your household. Don't shy away from it. I want to encourage all of us to stand up for what's just. Yeah. Just the just the way that the Lord has called us to do because he will honor that. And I think that there is power when it happens in that in the household. I think yes. that's something that the Lord honors that because he that's the way he's instructed us to live out our lives. It's our first ministry, right? One hundred percent. Our first place that we're supposed to be vigilant is in our home. That's good. Well, guys, thank you for joining me tonight. Um, it was a special pleasure to have you guys with me and having these conversations. What y'all don't know, listener, is that is that we have these conversations regularly, <laughs> the three of us. So we just put some mics in front of us and talk to each other the way <laughs> we normally talk. That's true. Um, yeah. Hey, we love you listeners, and uh, we thank you for taking the time that you take to listen to this podcast, and um, we hope that this has been a blessing to you. Um, God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening. Bye, guys. Peace.